Welcome to Mexico Unexplained, where we will explore the magic, the mysteries, and the miracles of Mexico. This series presents information based partly on theory and conjecture. The podcaster's purpose is to suggest some possible explanation, but not necessarily the only ones to the subjects we will examine. Here is your host, Robert Bitto. Welcome, and muy bienvenidos to episode number 154 of Mexico Unexplained where we examine the magic, the mysteries, and the miracles of Mexico. I'm your host, Robert Bitto. November 8, 1519 was a very important day in human history. It was on this day that Aztec Emperor Montezuma II welcomed Spanish conquistador Hernán Cortés and his entourage as honored guests into the capital city of Tenochtitlan. The Aztecs knew of Spanish activity on the Gulf Coast for months and had dispatched emissaries to welcome Cortes. As the Spaniard marched closer to the Aztec capital, emissaries became more frequent and they bore more elaborate gifts. The luxurious presence not only piqued the curiosity of Cortes, but stirred a lust inside him. The treasures of this fabulous kingdom would be vast, he believed, and perhaps in the end he would be richer than the King of Spain or any other Christian monarch. When the Spaniards arrived in the Aztec capital, they were amazed at what they saw. In letters back to his king, Cortes wrote, quote, The Indians live almost as we do in Spain and with quite as much orderliness. It is wonderful to see how much sense they bring to the doing of everything. Montezuma has a palace in the city of such a kind and so marvelous that it seems to me almost impossible to describe its beauty and magnificence. I will say no more than there is nothing like it in Spain. Quote. Some of the men in Cortez's party had been to the largest cities in Europe and the Middle East, such as Constantinople and Rome, and noted that nothing they had experienced in those cities compared to Tenochtitlan. The cleanliness, order, and monumental art and architecture of the ancient Mexican metropolis were unmatched in the Old World. The Spaniards had ample time in the Aztec capital and chronicled their experiences in their diaries and letters. Emperor Montezuma allowed the newcomers to move about the capital city with ease and without restriction. While Montezuma saw Cortes as part of a diplomatic entourage representing a king thousands of miles away, Cortes saw himself as something entirely different. The Aztec Empire would be his one way or another. From the beginning, Cortes had a plan to hold Montezuma hostage in his own palace and indirectly rule the Aztec Empire through him, at least for a while. Within a year of their fateful arrival, the Spanish under Cortes would destroy everything, and a mighty civilization would be snuffed out in a historical instant. What brought the 34-year-old conquistador to this point? Few know the story of Cortes before the Aztecs. Hernán Cortés de Monroy y Pizarro Altimirano was born in 1485 in Extremadura, an eastern part of the modern nation of Spain, which at the time of his birth was part of the kingdom of León. Extremadura was perhaps the most impoverished area of the Iberian Peninsula at the time of the birth of Cortés. 
Scholars have long noted that many of the conquistadors who went to the Americas, Africa, and Asia came from this region, including Francisco Pizarro, the conqueror of the Inca Empire who was Cortez's second cousin. The poverty of the region most likely drove ambitious men to look outward, and in the case of the young Cortez, he may have also been motivated to make a better life for himself by stories of his former family glory. His great-grandfather was Rodrigo de Monroy e Almaraz, the fifth lord of Monroy, a notable feudal lord who fought valiantly for the kings of León and earned a rightful place in Spanish history. Cortez's father was a mere infantry captain and of much lesser means than his noble forebears. The young Cortez must have disliked living in the shadow of the former glory of his ancestors. In his early years, Cortez was described as a sickly child. And to cite one of his biographers, quote, He was so frail that many times he was on the point of dying. End quote. His wet nurse claimed that St. Peter watched over the young Hernán Cortés, and it was because of divine intervention that the young child survived to adolescence. So, from the very beginning, Cortés must have seen himself as a sort of golden child, destined for something greater. By the age of 14, his parents sent the young Cortés to Salamanca to live with his uncle and to further his education. Here scholars split as to the nature of his schooling. Some believe that Cortés was a student at the University of Salamanca where he studied the Latin language and law. Others say that because of lack of money he never enrolled in the university but instead studied under his uncle, who served as a private tutor to the teenage boy. In any case, the restless future conquistador returned home at the age of 16 with ample training to become a notary. At this time, a biographer described him as, quote, haughty, mischievous, and given to quarrelsomeness, end quote, which seems appropriate given that this high-spirited adolescent was coming into his own and realizing the latent power that he had inside himself. A small town was no place for the young Cortez, especially since during this time Spain was expanding into Italy and into the newly discovered lands across the seas. He was subjected to stories of wealth and conquest in foreign lands that made him even more restless. As luck would have it, a distant relative of the Cortez family, Nicolás de Obando, had just been appointed governor of the newly discovered island of Hispaniola in the Caribbean. Ovando asked the young Cortez if he wanted to be part of the crew of the 32 ships he was outfitting in Cadiz to set sail for the New World. Cortez jumped at the opportunity. A few days before Ovando's fleet left Spain, however, Cortez suffered a cruel twist of fate that was his temporary undoing. He was having an affair with an older married woman in the town, and one night while he was escaping from the house of this woman, a wall fell on him and injured him. His mother's intervention prevented the brother of the woman from killing the young Cortez. So, because of this freak accident tied to his indiscretions, Cortez lost the chance to go to the Indies, and after his brief recovery, he traveled to Italy. A year after his wanderings, he returned once again to his parents in Extremadura. 
since he had spent much of his time in ports and heard more stories about the new discoveries across the seas, Cortez set his sights on the new world once again. At the age of 18 in the year 1504, Cortez sailed in a convoy of five merchant ships bound for Santo Domingo, the capital of Hispaniola. When he arrived there, he met up with and lodged with a man known to history only as Medina, a friend who was one of Governor Ovando's secretaries. Medina encouraged Cortez to register as a citizen, which would entitle him to a caballeria, which was a plot of land for cultivation measuring 200 by 500 feet along with a building. While this was a start, this small piece of the new world was not what the young Cortez had hoped for when he dreamed of an energetic new life overseas. For the next five years, Cortez established himself in the colony and cultivated a good reputation. He became the official notary in the town of Asua. In 1506, as a reward for being part of the expedition to conquer the remaining parts of Hispaniola, the governor granted Cortes an encomienda, a large plot of land and the Indian labor on that land. The young Spaniard had returned his family to the status of feudal lords once again, but this was still not enough for him. In 1509, Don Diego Columbus, the son of Christopher Columbus, arrived in the West Indies as the new governor after having established his hereditary title as heir of the man who discovered the New World. Governor Columbus soon organized a 300-man expedition under the command of Diego Velazquez to conquer Cuba, which had recently been proved to be an island. Cortes was part of the expedition as a civil servant. He was clerk to the treasurer and was responsible for keeping account of the Quinto, or the King's Fifth, the 20% of everything that was sent back to Spain to fill the royal coffers. The annexation and pacification of Cuba did not take long. As a reward for his service, Velázquez, who was now governor of the island, granted Cortés more land and more Indian labor. In a few short years, Cortés had built a small empire on Cuba and Hispaniola, his holdings included mines, hundreds of acres of highly productive farmland, and large numbers of livestock, including cattle, horses, and sheep. He also had the labor attached to the land, which produced a hearty income for him. Perhaps his brash personality combined with his ever-increasing wealth drew animosity and jealousy from fellow colonists. Many on the two islands had grievances against Cortes, both real and imaginary. As a result of many accusations, Velázquez arrested Cortes and threw him into prison. He managed to escape the prison, was captured, and then imprisoned on a ship. Again, Cortes managed to free himself, this time by exchanging clothes with a servant boy and letting himself down over the side of the ship and into the ship's boat. Cortes used his influence in the colonies to eventually get Velázquez to grant him clemency. The little infighting and petty political intrigue he experienced probably led Cortes to realize that the only way to be truly independent and to amass enormous wealth was to break free of the Caribbean colonies and conquer the new lands beyond. He bided his time and waited for the right opportunities. 
While waiting and planning, Cortez served as the twice-elected mayor of Santiago de Cuba and slowly increased his land holdings and broadened his various commercial enterprises. By 1517, Governor Velazquez began looking to the west. On February 8, 1517, he sent an expedition of 110 men on three ships bound for the Yucatan, commanded by a man named Hernández de Córdoba. Within three days, they landed off the northern coast of the Yucatan Peninsula near Cape Cartoche. Seeing pyramids from the shore, they named the region New Cairo. The expedition looted what it could and returned to Cuba. Velasquez saw the potential in the new western lands, so he outfitted another expedition to sail the next year under the command of Juan de Grijalva. Grijalva discovered Cozumel Island, then skirted the Mexican coast north all the way to modern-day Tampico. After six months, Grijalva had sent back to Cuba 20,000 pesos worth of gold and had not lost a single vessel. Governor Velasquez wanted to outfit a new expedition to support Grijalva. In the previous year, Cortez had married Catalina Juarez, who was Diego Velasquez's sister-in-law. The future conqueror of Mexico had become quite close to Governor Velasquez and had established a fine reputation for himself during the 14 years of biding his time. So he was the obvious choice to head the new expedition to the Mexican mainland. History also shows that Cortes entered into a secret profit-sharing agreement with two important people in Cuba, Velasquez's secretary, a man named Andres de Duero, and the king's accountant in Santiago de Cuba, Amador de Lares. The two put in a good word for Cortes, and the deal was sealed. On October 23, 1518, Cortes signed an agreement with Governor Velasquez granting him authority over the new expedition to Mexico. Cortes knew Velasquez's temperament and outfitted the expedition quickly before the governor could change his mind. While Cortes was picking up more men and supplies in the Cuban port of Trinidad, Velasquez issued the order to revoke the charter he signed with Cortes and called off the expedition. Cortes left Cuba anyway, bound for Mexico with over 700 men on 11 ships, technically legally and not with royal consent. He landed on the shores of the Yucatan in February of 1519 and claimed the land for the Spanish king. He would skirt the coast and head north, as did Grijalva, but unlike the two previous expeditions, Cortes had his own plans to march inland. The rest, as they say, is history. Thank you once again for listening to another episode of Mexico Unexplained. Remember to like and subscribe to us on YouTube and follow us on Twitter. Tell your friends by sharing these shows with others. Please go to our website, MexicoUnexplained.com, for references, illustrations, and for free access to transcripts of past shows. Please visit Amazon.com to purchase the book, Mexico Unexplained, to get a hard copy of The Magic, The Mysteries, and The Miracles of Mexico. We appreciate your kind attention once again. Until next time, thank you and gracias. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Mexico Unexplained with host Robert Bitto. For show summary, relevant links and commentary, please check out our website at mexicounexplained.com. Like us on Facebook and be a part of the conversation. Adios and hasta la vista.